0: It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello and welcome to The Filmmaker's Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today we're talking about exec producing films, raising finance and indie film tricks and tips. I am Giles Alderson, producer of the horror comedy A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, director of the vampire documentary World of Darkness and the psychological horror feature film The
2: Dare.
1: Coming at you from Just Voices Studio, a brilliant studio, reasonably priced as you know, sounds beautiful in here, the girls are lovely, they always help us out, give you coffee Go to justvoicesagency.com, speak to Sam. speak to Lee. Do your ADR, do your voiceover, do your podcast from here. My ho, my ho-coast, uh, my co-host today. I, my ho host. My whole coast is the wonderful director of some brilliant indie films, Freak Out, Stalled, Goblin, and the soon-to-be-released Fanged Up, co-written by Dan Palmer and starring Stephen Burkoff, Lauren Sotcher, Vass Blackwood, uh, Daniel Harold, Stu Bennett, and Daniel O'Reilly it's Christian James hello mate Giles how are you doing buddy good to see you I'm alright um, obviously our new segment is the indie film shoutouts the filmmaker shoutouts we want to support indie filmmakers like ourselves so we shout out about screenings or uh, crowdfunders or whatever you've got remember to uh, get into my direct messages contact me at Giles Olson, at filmmakers pod let me know what you've got and we'll give it some love if you want to be a filmmaker screenwriter whatever you are get involved follow us retweet us like us all the guys here We'll happily provide any support we can, if we can. And also our guests, don't forget, write to them, retweet them. They'll be happy to talk to you. Say you listen to the podcast and you really like what they had to say, and I tell you what, you've made a new contact and a new friend. It's easy, it's simple, it's a small bunch of us. We can get together and we can change the world. Well, we can change the inner film world a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> a little bit at a time, anyway. Um, remember, subscribe to us on iTunes, get us cracking and rocking up the charts. Listen to us on SoundCloud, Podbean, Tuning Radio, Stitcher, PowerCast 969, Tribulation Saints, The Brit Pod Scene. Yes, right. Joining us today to talk about exec producing films, raising finance and getting films made is Peter Dunphy. Hello. Hello there. Hello. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. Honestly, thank you very much for taking the time out to chat to us about indie filmmaking and filmmaking in general. A little bit about Peter. He's the exec producer and managing director of Gizmo Films. Yeah. Right. How long have you been doing that for? Six years. Six years. Very nice. He's raised finance for 10 UK films as the lead exec producer, including Mad to be Normal, which starred David Tennant, Elizabeth Moss, Michael Gambon and Gabriel Byrne and the recent release Funny Cow, which was with Maxine Peake, Paddy Considine and Stephen Graham. The Quiet One, which is the Bill Wyman feature documentary, uh, and two graves from the writer and producer of Harry Brown. Uh, it uh, stars Dave Johns, David Heyman, Josh Herdman, uh, Katie Jarvis, Danielle Harold, who also stars in Christian James's Fanged Up, Kathy Tyson and um, Kedar Williams-Sterling. Uh, how exciting. Right. I mean yeah, some yeah. brilliant projects you've got been going. Keeping very busy. Yeah, Keeping yes. very busy indeed. Um Daniel Harold, let's let's have the connection here. Should we dish some dirt? Should we uh, some, we'll get some stories out?
2: Yeah, no, she was in Fanged Up, so she was uh, okay. yes. sort of the she was the uh the lead or co lead of Fanged Up. So do you get involved in that side of things that much or? Um, I, I have
3: done some projects. So Mad To Be Normal, mm-hmm. which you mentioned, which is the David Tennant and Elizabeth Moss. Um, it was more of a wide-ranging producer role. So I was involved in things like negotiating Elizabeth Moss's contract with her New York-based lawyers, which mm. was not very fun. <laughs> right. um, I've been involved in things like uh, the legal side of things mm-hmm. um, as well as the financial side of things. And sometimes you're called in, as who's going to do this? Um, well, we can't really think of who should do this. So why don't we get Pete to do it? And um, so, for instance, um, sacking actors.
1: Oh, oh no. Sacking
3: actors. Just Somebody actors or do, do, any- do you sack <laughs> anybody? No, i no. sack anything. Yeah. No,
1: but actors must be really hard to, to Well, the that. reason
3: they get me to do it is because I'm not on set all day. Right. So I can come in, yeah. sack them, and then go away again Perfect. and not get my head kicked in. How do you generally deliver that news um, <laughs> well, as gently as possible. The, the, the objective usually is to get them removed from the set before you tell them.
1: I see. So they don't break things and damage. Uh,
3: and, and usually property. what you need to do is, is you come to an arrangement, you come to an agreement. Concrete mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the, the easiest way to do it is to uh, write their character out of the script.
1: That's a good way to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's simple. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, your character's now died. But you've yes, still know, I've got to get them. I've got
3: some bad news. There's been some script revisions, mm-hmm. and you're not required next to tomorrow. In yeah. fact, you're not required for the rest of the shoot. You've because, died on screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I saw, your well, part uh, no longer exists. That happened
1: to a friend of mine, actually. We were, we were making Did a PT film. Peter deliver the news? It, no, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't call you up to deliver the news. And he had an argument with the director who was a total moron. Uh, and just said, Look, you, you don't know what you're doing. It's a waste of time. The next day, the new script arrived, and he he was dying that day. He <laughs> was Classic. like, it was that Great, I get to go home. Yeah. But yeah, it was a big movie, that as well. Kind of crazy. So, um, how many. Actors have you actually fired then? That
3: that's only happened a few times. Wow! Um, But but there's been other things. um, I mean, Mad to Be Normal is uh, sort of a biopic. Mm -hmm. It's based on uh, a guy called R. D. Lang, who was a not the singer. He was a psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. not K. D. Lang. uh, R. 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 D. Lang. um, (laughs) A lot of people do do make that reference, but he he was a psychiatrist in the late '60s, the swinging '60s, an alternative. a uh, psychiatrist who used LSD to treat his patients, mm-hmm. okay. um, uh, which was slightly controversial to say the least, and Indeed. he created an experiment at a place called Kingsley Hall in East London, where he decided that the the patients, uh, psychiatric patients, would live with the doctors in this sort of hippie commune, really. Mm-hmm. Um, that, hopefully, is going to be on uh, coming to the BBC later in the month. Oh, But I can't uh, confirm the precise date yet because it's not been What's released. Like? But, uh, yeah. we can we can, I can tweet that out uh, as soon yeah. as we get yes. the information yeah, that yeah. everyone so knows. I, I
2: suppose, dialing back, where did it all mm. begin? Where, where, how did, um, you, how did you end me, up here? For
3: um, me, right, well, I, I came from a completely different world, and that world was uh, insurance recruitment. Wow, in the city. glamorous. <laughs> in, the, in the city of London. So I did that for many years and um, I, I sort of built up my own company and I built it up using private equity and EIS funds. And I think we're coming on to that a little bit later. So I, I, I stopped really being a, a recruitment specialist and started becoming a finance specialist. Um, I then went to work for uh, a guy called James Kahn, who uh, mm. people may have heard of, was on Dragons Den. Yeah, the big James. That's one Khan. of the dragons. Um, as a private equity investment director, so I did that for a while, and that's basically looking for businesses to buy. Running a business successfully and growing a business and getting investment in, uh, you have to learn. The ropes you 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 become an expert on things which you don't really want to be an expert on like tax yeah um but it 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 proves to be quite handy and what happened i sold my business uh, um six years ago um and i sold it to private equity and at that time i had a bit of cash and uh i i thought i would go and do something completely different and that completely different was um film finance
1: was there a reason for that? Was it? Did you see the glamorous side? Did you? Did you always fantasize about being in film?
3: Um, no, it wasn't a long-term aim. I, I I just saw an ad. I saw an advert for non-executive director, mm-hmm. investing non-exec director, and this is where you basically become uh, a director, part-time director of a company. But you also bring some money to it as well right. and and that was Gizmo Film's productions mm-hmm. um so I got involved that way, um but it did appeal to me in that it was getting involved in something completely different, you know right. it was time for a change, but I hadn't particularly been you know a a real massive film buff or anything like that, so it wasn't it wasn't a passion project for me right okay. um but it was a really interesting change and and I've been enjoying it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a huge change. Wow. So what did you, when you first sort of arrived, and you sort of, cool, here I am. This is what I want to do. What was the process for you there? Sort of well,
3: kind of... the, it was a learning process. And okay. um, what, what what is certainly true, and I think I, a lot of people in the industry will have the same experiences, every film that you're involved in, you make big mistakes and you say, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. Um, and You sometimes do do exactly the same thing again. But what you do also do is hopefully uh, move up and progress and learn. And whilst you might make more mistakes on your next projects, maybe you're making different mistakes Mm. and and you're fine tuning it as you go along. So I started off by uh, putting far too large amounts of money into projects that were never going to get me any return. Okay.
1: Um, You obviously didn't know that at the time.
2: Uh, absolutely not
3: no, so so and
1: what
2: were the, what were the key mistakes there I suppose what was he what, mm. what what sort of common mistakes were you making? The
3: biggest mistake, and this is a common mistake, I think, made by a lot of people financing films or investing in films, is not looking at the route to market mm-hmm. it, It's who is going to buy this, yeah. and why do you think that they are going to buy this? Yeah. because a lot of people who are making films, they see the object just to make the film once they've wrapped, mm. it's job done. Yeah. And they're not yeah. really thinking about distribution deals and sales. And, of course, if you're not thinking about those distribution de- deals and sales, then you can't do a good job for the investors. Because, uh, and, and a lot of people actually think that once the investors have put the money into the film, that's the end of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, because they get paid in the production. So is that part of the inherent problem in, in the way the independent film world works in the UK. It, it is a problem
3: because, uh, as you say, for a lot of people involved in producing a film, in, in most jobs producing a film, once the film is made, their job is done. And mm. they move on to the next one. Mm.
1: Okay. I mean, let's take a, a project and from the ground up that comes to you guys at Gizmo and you sort of go, okay, we like this. We could develop this. How do you go about then turning it into reality and going, okay, wh- what's the whole process behind it?
3: Okay, well, we, there's two quite different things that we do one of which is starting a project from a relatively early stage mm-hmm. um, and that may only be at script stage um, and th- the objective is firstly to uh, see if you can get the interest letters of engagement or, or at least letters of interest from cast mm-hmm. if, if it's a, f- a fiction stage two is to secure a sales agent. So who is going to distribute it?
1: Ah, So you do it that early then? So
3: that early. um, Because to be honest, if you can't sell it to the sales agents at that stage, you're not going to sell it to distributors once it's been made. That's my experience. Mm -hmm. And so getting that, getting thinking about who's going to sell it and how much they're going to sell it for at a really early stage. And my advice would be, uh, unless you're doing something sort of fairly micro-budget, um, my advice would be that if you can't get distributor or sales agent interest at the early stage of the project, get another project. Hmm. Because what a lot of people do is uh, they, they plow on and on and on with the project that they have um, irrespective of all of the people saying no and a, l- a lot of people out there say if you keep on trying you know you'll eventually succeed well unfortunately that isn't always the case
1: and does that depend on who's in it or is it mainly script well that that's why
3: you need those lois from cast right because okay. um the, the sales agents will sure sure they, they will look at um, the script they probably to be honest they probably won't even read the whole script if if, 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 sure. if it's a fiction we
2: always, we always have like the, uh, many director pals we chat to, this the, the whole uh, LOI thing and getting cast attached the constant which means letter
1: of intent by letter the way intent. In
2: case. constant chicken and egg because it's always like as a filmmaker you've got a script you're Like right now how do we you know you go to an agent and they're like okay so what's the budget and when are you shooting you're like they're, well yeah about the budget and we're not you know so you have to sort of say to them mm oh, we're shooting X and the budget's X. It's very hard to get someone attached.
3: Unless you've got your finance. Unless you've
2: got your finance, yes. Where where do you, what what do you do? That that is the classic (laughs) chicken and
3: egg. And um, there's two routes out, out of that problem. One of which is to get a finance LOI. And by that, I mean, find a company like us where we're prepared to say, okay, if you get, the right cast and the right sales agent attached to this project, we will finance it to this sum mm. that l o i can then be in, incorporated into your finance plan to give to the actors agents where they say where 's your finance plan where 's the money going to come from?" They say well the money 's going to come from here
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, but there 's other critical parts of that finance plan that needs to that, 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 that need to be in place, including the UK film tax credit for instance and um, the other alternative route is to try to get some development funding mm. in place and use that developing development funding to get some of those critical things sorted out. Uh, maybe a casting director who has got good connections mm. with the agents and can get uh, LOIs um, it could be script development um, it, it, it could be a teaser trailer uh, t- type thing. So, so if you can get that development funding, um, then then you know you that, that's a big stepping stone to to getting the, the the total funding.
1: And where can people find development funding? Because there'll be loads of people screaming at the. Their podcast yeah. devices right, right, right. now. Yeah,
3: where, where does it come from? Yeah, I mean that that, that is a big problem. There, there are there there are grants from the British Film Institute. They're BFI, very hard to get, but they are very hard to get. Yeah, mm-hmm. I understand that it's something like two or three mm-hmm. percent of, of people and applying. for someone like me
1: and CJ, it's very difficult for us to get. It's that seems to be the way. Well, for
2: you, maybe, just, but for me, it's
3: well, just, How many of uh,
1: you? Have?
2: Yeah. Oh, I've never even spoken to them. You I Do you know? Yeah. I actually, I never. I've never actually even bothered.
1: I've I've applied many times. Yeah. And I, start, no. I think
2: I started way back Never. in the day, like I tried like a, maybe a Warpex or one of those and afterwards I was like, do you know what? I'm it's just it, it, so many hoops we seem to have
1: to jump through for yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, unless yeah. you're either massive or there's certain boxes you have to tick.
3: Yeah. The other the other thing that you can do in, in terms of sort of ma- 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 taking these steps is mm. yes, that, um, I mean crowdfunding, um, and I don't know, that you, you've talked about crowdfunding yeah. previously. Um, you can crowdfund for micro budget films, but if you're looking for a bigger budget film, that ain't going to get you anywhere. But what it might do is get you that first five, ten, fifteen, or twenty thousand pounds that mm-hmm. allows you to to, 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 to develop yeah. to develop it. Good good point. Um, but um, that that that's one possible route. You don't necessarily need that uh, development development funding to put those critical elements together. As I say, if you've got Uh, a good script, and you've got LOIs from the cast, you've got an LOI on the finance side, Mm -hmm. you've maybe got uh, a special purpose vehicle set up that has EIS or SEIS clearance. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, SEIS, which is capped out at a maximum £150,000, but where investors putting money into SEISs get a 50% Tax rebate is potentially a good starting place to look for to get your first funds in. Mm -hmm. Because, whilst nobody wants to lose an investment, at least with SEIS investments, the investors get their 50%. And then, on top of that, there is loss relief, whereby if they lose the half that they have invested, they can get about another 25% back. Yep. so
1: that's up to 75 percent, perhaps yeah right? which is yep. a decent chunk to come back if it uh,
3: absolutely out. and so there will be uh people who are prepared to back a project because they just like the look of it mm-hmm. on the basis that 75 percent of the money which they're investing is definitely uh ring fences is is is, is, is risk-free so uh, that seis route is definitely something uh worth looking for if, if you're looking for, for probably it's not worth setting one up for for less than probably about 30 or 40,000 pounds is, mm. is what I would say. But if you're looking to raise between about 30,000 pounds up to 150,000 pounds, um, then definitely the SEIS is a, is a first good step.
1: Okay. And could you just, for, for our listeners out there, explain a little bit about what the SEIS is? I know you're not a tax expert, but that would be lovely.
3: Yeah. So SEIS stands for Seed uh, Enterprise Investment Scheme. Mm. Um, And this was set up by the government uh, 15, 20 years ago, something like that. Um, The objective is to get the investment community and its private personal investors, so these restricted to individual UK taxpayers, um, it's to get them investing in uh, relatively high-risk startup companies. And this is not particular to... the the film or TV industry. Uh, It's used for tech startups. Mm -hmm. It could be gaming. It could be alternative energy. It could be, you know, recruitment consultancy. It could be absolutely anything. But if you're genuinely setting up uh, a new business, then you can apply for this SEIS. And it's relatively straightforward. Uh, It's good common sense to do this through a firm of accountants. Mm, And it's not necessarily because it's complicated. It's because... Firms of accountants have professional indemnity assurance insurance and that means that if it all goes horribly wrong, you don't get the uh, approval for uh, the, the tax relief for your investors. You're covered by the insurance that's held by the firm of accountants because they're basically – when you pay their fee, you're paying for them to get it right.
2: And what kind of fee would you be looking at –
3: the um, the 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 lowest fee I've seen is about fifteen hundred pounds. Um, if you go to one of the main media accountants, they'll probably charge you four 000, five thousand mm-hmm. pounds, something like that. Um, that that is to get SEIS approval. Um, it usually makes sense if you're doing this to get EIS approval at the same time, yes. and that is the Enterprise Investment Scheme. That is, from a film point of view, is almost unlimited. It's about £100 million that mm. can be raised mm. on that and uh, £10 million per investor. So uh, it's f- far more than most filmmakers are going to need. Um, the reason why you go for that EIS at the same time, if your overall budget is going to be more than that £150,000 and you think it ever will be, go for the EIS as well because it's much easier to get both done at the same time than to go back a couple of years or or, or even six months later and try to get EIS on the back of your SEIS.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. So basically, um, we need to keep... um, uh, We're breaking it down into its rawest form just because it's, again, it's, I think, something that we never had explained to us when we were starting out. Definitely. So it's just night. But so, in short, you get an SEIS or an EIS, and that's... You're effectively, once you've applied... Let's say you've paid your 1,500 or your 4.5 grand. At the end of that, once you're approved, is that right? You go through this process. What, what, What do you have at the end of that, you know... Okay,
3: what what you get is a company set up, mm-hmm. and that company uh, applies for what's called advanced assurance. And this is basically the HMRC giving you a letter of comfort that says, uh, looking at what you're intending to do with this company and the way you've set it up, mm-hmm. we give you advanced assurance that it will qualify for SAIS. What that allows you to do is to get that comfort for your investors before they put their money in. Because otherwise, you've got a big risk. And although it might seem a crazy thing, there are some big films out there that had EIS funds raised for them where they did not get advance assurance and they are not going to get advance assurance. And there's an awful lot of potentially very unhappy investors out there who are not going to get their tax relief.
1: But oh, once you, and once that's you, why they're doing it. One of the main reasons, yeah. right? Yes, yeah.
2: okay. The probably the only any reason. So once you've got that, you can then go out there as a as a as a, as a producer. You can go out, you can go out and like swat around town saying, I've "Got my uh, EIS or my SEIS uh, approval." So that's you're then a more attractive prospect to any investor, potential investor. Yes, yes. And I suppose also it, it proves that you have done your homework. It does, and the, there's other
3: benefits of setting up one of these uh, vehicles. Mm. That will be the limited company that can produce the film yep that's the spv Um, uh yes special purpose vehicle um and and because it is a special purpose vehicle limited company Mm. uh it means that the principals of that company which will probably be the filmmakers acting as directors of that company have the protection of directors of limited companies which is that they don't have any personal liability if everything goes horribly wrong
1: Perfect. It was Peugeot who set that up from the very beginning, wasn't it? It was there before Peugeot said, "Do you know what? I don't want to be a get if if everything goes wrong." The car, I don't, the, car the car company. Yeah, yeah. 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 So they're the first company ever to set up as a, an SPV, if you like, yeah. to say if something happens, yeah. that we that the, the the Peugeot will always live on. Within that company. Okay, that company can go bankrupt, but the people around it. Yes. Yeah, and you can't take yeah. our houses. You can't take our houses. Yes. Fact, and, and then it became a real thing. Now everyone can set up this SPV. Fascinating. Yeah.
3: Now, it's probably worth saying mm. that, and, and uh, this isn't very good news really. Um, back in November, there was a big review. The government did a review of EIS and SEIS. And one of the things that they came up with was that they did not really want people to use this just to make a single film Mm. and then close it all down yes Mm.
1: which was a lot of companies were doing and they were um, using the system if you like to not pay people it was happening quite regularly with indie filmmakers i say indie filmmakers these people are assholes who would make one film and not pay people and say oh it's gone bankrupt whatever they would then go make another one and set up another one So they've changed the rules.
3: So the way around that is by raising funds for slates of films Mm -hmm. or for series of films. Um, If you're doing it for TV uh, or you're doing it for animation, then it's potentially easier because it's easier to make the argument that you're going to make a series of productions and that this business that you're creating Bear in mind that E1, one of the biggest distributors in the world, started off as a single-purpose company making Pepper the Pig cartoons. Uh-huh. And um, I did not know that. That's the, interesting. The, they, they have actually you know, very much fulfilled the growth and development. <laughs> they have, indeed. Um, so as part of your application, but this is where, again, having um, a decent accountant who is familiar mm. with the rules on your side because they will draw up... Uh, the information memorandum, this is the application, the share application form, basically, which has to go to the the tax man, the HMRC. They will draw that up um, in order to demonstrate to the satisfaction of the HMRC that you are, in fact, intending to have a growing and developing company.
1: What happens if you've got an investor who only wants to put into this one film and he doesn't want to put into a slate of films yet? He or she is saying... I want to put this money into this film that you've pitched me. How do we get around that?
3: Okay, the, the, this is where it starts to become slightly complicated. Okay. And I, start, start, start. <laughs> you have me complicated. I was complicated like, you know, 20 minutes okay, ago. Okay, so um, the, the, the investors are intended to be investors in the long term for the company. Mm. And uh, they can remain invested long term in the company. But you can nevertheless make payments to investors in relation to the progress of that company at particular points in time. And if that particular point in time is, say, two or three years in when feature film number one Mm -hmm. has been produced and is going into distribution. Probably worth mentioning, actually, that EIS and SEIS investors have to hold onto their shares for three years. Mm -hmm. Actually, you can say to those investors, look, here's the good news. You know, rather than saying to that investor, well, you can't invest in one film. You have to invest in this whole series of films we're making. Yeah. You just turn that around and say, the good news is not only are you going to get good returns from this film, but you automatically will get free shares in all of the subsequent films made by this company. Yeah,
1: Great, great advice. So if I'm setting up Gilesfilms.com, whatever. What I What a great name. I know, yeah. I said .com at the end for no reason, as <laughs> if it had a .com at the end. So and I've got my film now. Do I need to show the government that I've got two other films in my slate at least?
3: As as of uh March, yes. Pretty much yes. As in March
1: just gone. Uh, yes march yes. march Mar- march 2018 because okay, that's so when
3: that's when the implementation of the rules announced in ah, november I see. Okay, took okay, in place. end of yeah, the okay. attack, it's yeah. probably okay. worth talking just a little bit about this film tax relief as well mm-hmm, because this yeah. is something which um a lot of people know about but a lot of people don't now this is whereby if you are making a film in the uk that is primarily uh, about the uk or or using uk cast mm-hmm. or crew Uh, you qualify for um, up to 25% of the cost of making that film, which is repayable to you by HMRC. Now, this is not going to the investors. This is going to the film production. Mm -hmm. Now, two things about that, one of which is that uh, you need to get it certified by the British Film Institute, and they will give you a very long form. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a test of... It's, it's called the uh, cultural uh, test. It's
2: a point well, system, isn't it? You fill out... Yeah, e-
3: exactly. So is it a British director? Is it British cast? Are you using British post-production? Is it being shot in Britain? Is it about British uh, subjects? Mm. And if, if you pass that, you need to get sort of like eight out of ten of these, mm. basically. Um, if you pass that test, then you can send in that certificate with your end of film accounts and get paid in 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 practice it's about 18 point five percent what you get rather back.
1: than 20 yes yeah yeah,
3: yeah. Um, and that gets paid back through the corporation tax system and and that there's no uh, minimum size of the film for that there's no maximum size uh, so if you're making a film for hundred thousand pounds say um, that's eighteen and a half thousand pounds of your costs of that film that Covered through through that particular relief. A mm. couple of things you can't claim against. You can't claim against financing costs. You can't claim against uh, marketing costs. So you it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to use it towards a P and A budget. I see. Okay. But you can use it for uh, equipment hire, transportation, post um, post production, yeah. cast uh, fees, <clears throat> and so on and so forth. How often do you have to
2: explain what you've, just, what you've just explained to us? How often do you have to look at these sort of glazed facing you. look listen for the t- 100th time you take this you do you know how how do you traverse that tricky situation of trying to educate
3: how i how i deal with it most effectively is by saying to people spend the money as though it was your own because that helps them to get into the mindset of the investor Because what sometimes distresses me is if I do actually pitch up on a set and I can see absolute waste Mm -hmm. of of money. And I'm thinking that's somebody's hard-earned cash that is being spent on – it has to be that particular – rug yeah. from that particular shop even though it costs five thousand mm-hmm. yeah. pounds as opposed to one which will look identical on from ikea the, yeah for a, five pounds exactly so so um and that's actually a real example so so yeah. you know that that makes me think about those people who've put that money in expecting a return and i'll give you one other example of one of the films i did whereby uh one of the producers came to me and said we want to use this particular track in 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 the film and um i can I can't remember what track it was, but it's a sort of very expensive track. It's a track that was going to cost a hundred thousand pounds wow. to license okay. um yeah i i it's it herded on the grapevine okay let's have herded on the grapevine in a scene where the characters sat on a bus now I'm glad we didn't pay for it because the scene was cut anyway yeah. oh
1: no <laughs> um
3: but but <laughs> mm. um. They said to me, uh, well, it's okay because we think we can get that additional £100,000 from the distributor. Oh. Um, Now, to them, that's okay because they're getting the money to have their favourite song in the film.
1: And in their eyes, the film would be better.
3: And the film would be better. That's not okay Mm. for me and for my investors because what we've just done is raised the target Mm -hmm. by £100,000 that we have to get in net receipts from the box office, from the video on demand, from the DVDs and TV deals. We've just increased our target by £100,000 in relation to when those investors are going to start to get a return. Yes. And, and, you know, people need to think about that.
1: And that's huge numbers when you're talking about DVD sales, right? That's huge.
3: Yeah. Maybe that's your entire theatrical run. Exactly. Blown on, mm. on on the producers, uh, one of the producers wanting to have their favorite song in the film.
1: It always costs more money on set when you're actually making yeah. a movie than it does in pre-production. Yes, yes for fact. Yes, yes.
3: Yeah. Uh, I mean, seeing how rapidly the money can be spent during the shoot can be quite distressing mm. at times. Mm. So I, I, I've actually got a film which is shooting right now. It, it, it wraps tomorrow. Oh, what's yeah. it called? Uh, it's called Surviving Christmas, and we're doing this in. Um, associated collaboration with uh, studio soho um and this is as it as you can probably guess it's it's a christmas family comedy so very different to what we've done before Mm -hmm. but the reason why you know i was interested in getting involved in this one is because it has a distribution strategy it has a known market it's to be honest it's probably not the kind of film i would want to watch myself sure but that's not the point it isn't the point no. um and, and it also had uh eis advanced assurance right so you know put those things together it's also, uh, some good recognizable casts. so mm. it's got people like james fox patricia hodge ronnie ancona mm-hmm. sally phillips lovely um yeah so it's the kind of you know people you know they, they know strong who they are. Yeah. Jo- Jolie richardson and lovely so um yeah. really really good recognizable sort of brick uh, cast so that one is uh, wrapping tomorrow and um, there, it, it never ceases to amaze me that the, the, there's always additional costs expenses there's always mm-hmm. something else um, and, and certainly the actual shoot can be the most stressful time you can have more control over post-production obviously and mm-hmm. what's the other thing that's critical about getting the film wrapped is that the the moment the film is wrapped, you have an asset. Mm, yeah. Um, until you start, you know, until you get to that point, you've only got a concept. Right. And so, from the point of view of the investors, um, at least they now have an asset. Got you. And even if it takes you two years to, to, to get, get the post production sorted out and so on, you've still got that, that, that asset banked that, that um, the investors are, are, have us taken.
2: I see what's your what's your uh, advice for keeping investors at bay so you've made your film now mm. and now you've got x amount of investors asking about that. how do you how do you i mean not only you are you involved in the production of films you also then you, you're you've got a an army of investors that you need to keep them entertained yes
3: there's, there's i would say there's three things uh, one of which is managing their expectations from the outset mm-hmm. so anybody investing in film needs to know that it is a relatively high risk investment Mm. um they need to know that aside from that tax relief and their loss relief they need to know that they may lose the balance of that because you you just don't know it might completely bomb um it might get terrible critical reviews maybe nobody wants to buy it Mm. um so, which again goes back to why it's critical to have some kind of distribution deal in place. If you can get pre-sales, um, all the better. So number one is managing expectations. There is a risk. And the other uh, expectation to manage is the timing of it. Mm. Um, it's, you're not going to get your money back in a year or, or even two years. It's a long-term investment. It's, um, it, it's really designed for people who are looking for a return between three and five years, mm. if they're if they're expecting to get the money back quicker than that, it's not really for them. So that's the first thing to do: manage the expectations at, at the at the outset. Okay. Um, the next thing to do is to basically, you know, get them involved, make them feel that they're not just somebody who's given some money to this project. They're part of it. They're part of yeah. it. They're part okay. of the team. Part of set. the family. Bring them to set. Mm. Um, I, I, I've got a whole pile of um, posters funny cow my last film um you know we we got posters signed by the cast mm. and got them sent out to to the investors they love that uh we got all of the investors to special uh pre-screenings mm-hmm. where it gives you know champagne and and ask them you know what they think and you know we genuinely take on board what they think you look after it, them. It, it, mm. it's, it's a sample of the potential audience and so as soon as you've got a rough cut you can bring them along. Um, You you might even, you know, take them to, you know, mini screening in the post house or something like that. And then when you have the premiere, so we premiered at uh, uh, Funny Cow at at the BFI London Film Festival. Mm -hmm. Now, the distributor only got allocated 35 tickets for for this because it was tightly controlled by the British Film Institute. Uh, And out of that 35 to the distributor... Um, only half a dozen came to my my company, Gizmo Films Productions. Well, I had something like, 50 or 60 investors who I knew wanted to go. So I hired myself and a bunch of my mates on the fastest finger first, 10 a.m., the moment <laughs> the tickets went on sale, <laughs> and bought up as many tickets as we possibly get, mm-hmm. which we then sort of mailed out artists yeah. to, to artists to the wonderful. investors. And then, you know, meet up with them with, for, for a drink, you know, b- beforehand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- th- those things don't cost a lot of money. But it makes them feel, you know, special, part of the team. Um, get them stills from 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 the set. Mm. Um, get them to have a look at some of the rushes. Nice. Um, you know, if, so so they're they're feeling as though they're, you know, part of the production team. Mm-hmm. Um, then I once one of the one of the difficult periods is actually when you've had all of that excitement of the shoot. And, and during the post-production, you can you can feed with uh, clips, um, you know, here's his, his, the, the trailer, nobody it's else has together, seen this before. Yeah. Um, but then you have that big gap between the end of post-production and the release. And that's the difficult period.
2: Traditionally, how big is that gap? On average, what kind of gap do you generally find you're looking at?
3: Um, it, it can vary, vary enormously. W- one of the problems uh, can be, so for instance, if we again look at Funny Cow, um, we had the premiere last October, October 2017. Mm. We didn't have the release until April the 20th, Just 2018. Mm. Um, and that might seem, well, why, why such a big gap? Well, it's because we had a distribution deal with E1 and E1 wanted to put it out during the weeks where they felt that they were going to get the best return, it wasn't a Christmas film. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, mm-hmm. um, you know, you didn't want to set it uh, against other very similar films. But also, the big distributors' their slots are booked in sometimes two years in advance. Right now, it's far better deal for everybody concerned, including the investors, to get a big release with a big distributor, even if it's twelve months away, than to get a small release. Straight out, yeah. Uh, within mm. weeks of of the film being wrapped or or, or, the, or the, um, post the post production, yeah. post being uh, completed, so so that that gap can be anything from three months to two years, um, and it's, again managing expectations during that period because the problem with that period is there's no news, mm-hmm. there's nothing really happening, mm-hmm. but as far as you possibly can, um, constant communication mm-hmm. is, is important okay. and, and always. Uh, making sure that that that, that they're um, informed, and that 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 in fact is 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 a third point. So managing expectations, uh, making them feel part of the team, and then very regular communications right throughout the process, after the post production. And again, this is one of the areas where some filmmakers, you know, they're onto their next project mm-hmm. and they they're, they've forgotten about it. It it, yeah. it doesn't really matter to them anymore, um, but you know there's those investors out there who've put their, their their money in and you know they they're still there and mm-hmm. you know they want to know what's what's going yes. on
0: elevate every morning with tommy john's second skin underwear This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, 4 out of 5 employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire.
2: You hear about it a lot with with uh, the crowdfunding stuff, whereby, mm. uh, and I've heard filmmaker friends sort of saying, I crowdfunded, which is a lot of work in of itself. Mm-hmm. Then I made the film, but then the the, the real work was afterwards mailing out. The things I promised.
1: Yeah, caps, the T-shirts. The yes, yeah, so ultimately, you know, the filmmaking notes.
2: becomes a very minor part of the heart, mm-hmm. of the work you're committed to. The, the raising of the money, and then an equal, if not more, is keeping those investors in your crowdfunding campaign happy afterwards. Absolutely. You, you know, one thing
3: about that is that you can be sure that the people who invest the least money are the people who want the most attention <laughs> yeah um you know absolutely sure. you know so so you know people who've invested i mean we we, we tend to run on minimum investment levels of of sometimes five thousand pounds sometimes ten thousand mm-hmm. pounds one of the reasons for that is because of the time
2: yeah, it takes to, to, quid, to look you, after yeah,
1: it's like oh, gosh.
3: but what i can also say is that the people who've put in a hundred thousand pounds are the people who you know you have to chase them up to tell them what's happening because right. they're you know they're, they're off doing oh, other stuff. oh yeah. i would forgotten about that, yeah. Yeah? whereas the people the, the people who begged you to, yeah, to, really to, to put in five hundred pounds are the people who are ringing you up every week mm. to find out if there's
2: any more news okay. Wait, uh, the, the ones that forget about the hundred grand you should have just kept quiet um
1: funny cows it's good that you've talked about that quite a bit, I wanted to touch on that a lot. it's out now, it's a wonderful, funny film maxine Peake is amazing in it she deserves the plaudits um it's it chants the rise to stardom of a female comedian in the 70s and 80s uh, in working men's clubs and it's you know going on the comedy circuit uh, and it's written by and starring tony pitts yep. who's fantastic in peaky blinders as the copper uh, and he's written this and got yes. it made. how did it come to you how did the whole process of um, Funny Cow happened.
3: Okay, um, the sequence is is broadly as follows. Tony Pitts, as the writer, more or less wrote it for Maxine Peake, and mm-hmm. and they they were acquainted, so they, they knew each other. And um, t- Tony, who who as, as you've mentioned is is an established actor, is very much moving into the writing uh, uh, area, and so he wrote this script um, based on you know, the, the up-and-coming uh, comedian. So Maxine was very much attached to the project, from really, the really from the beginning. I see. Now, the project had been around for a few years. The script had been around for a few years, and, and nothing really much had happened uh, to it. But Then it got picked up by um, a sales agent um, called uh, Movie House Entertainment. Mm-hmm. At that time other casts were starting to be attached paddy
1: Uh, considine and stephen graham at that point uh, uh, stephen
3: graham yes um but but not not paddy at that stage he came in a little bit later but one of the things um maxine and tony are very well connected and um they had persuaded uh people like uh vic reeves uh -hmm. jim Moir, and um kevin Rowland, uh dexie's midnight runners and Stephen Graham and subsequently we got john bishop as well to to Maybe. come in and do cameos mm. um mm. on on this film, so you put it together and you 've got a sort of very interesting very interesting. Uh, cast but but also um you know an interesting story um so Mo- movie house took it took it on as a sales agent, and uh, they came to me so so w- we we met up um actually at the Cannes Film Festival two years ago. Mm. Um, and that's when we got involved. And it was one of those strange situations because I actually met um, this guy called Mark Venice, who, who was one of the producers. The two principal producers of the film, uh, Kevin Proctor, who actually, he, he was really the guy that pushed it and pushed it and pushed it um, uh, to, to get it made. Mark Venice, who, who's uh, the MD of Movie House Entertainment, the sales agent. So they, they uh, were the producers of the film at that stage. And um, I'd met, I, I was meeting Mark to talk about a completely different project, um, sort of sat down with him and he's pitching this project to me and I'm, I'm immediately thinking, oh God, this is just, it was a sort of a eight to 10 million pound budget, uh, which was nearly all going to be spent on, on um, in, in the Alps uh, with, with, with what, what looked like sort of horrendously out of control sort of. Budget of of people climbing up mountains and so on okay. and, and and rock falls and all right. this sort of stuff and I thought oh this uh, this isn't right, um mm-hmm. so so uh, I I said to Mark you know have you got anything else since I'm here mm-hmm. um have you got anything else and he says well I have got this other film it's called Funny Cow Maxine Peak um we've had it for a couple of years but we haven't been able to get it financed uh, and you know would it be of interest I said well I'll tell you more to tell me more and so that was you know 2 years ago and that's when we got involved okay and um we we got more and more involved uh, and ended up uh being responsible for raising something like 60 to 70% of the the budget for the film incredible um o- over a period of time very much using our specialization as a company which is is on that you know EIS and private equity and 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 investment
1: great so obviously you raised the money and it, it it was quite a smooth process the whole filming as far as you know
3: the actual shoot itself was was all done um you know pretty much on time and pretty much on budget um I mean I say on budget I mean any project that I'm involved in I just assume that it's it's going to be 15 to 20% more than they're telling me. So so, <laughs> oh, okay. so when I say budget I'm talking about yeah. my mental budget, yeah, budget which is yeah. the higher amount. Yeah. Right
1: yeah. <laughs> bits It's good end. to
2: know as a filmmaker uh, that uh, anytime a producer chats me about budget I think they, they know there's 15 to 20%. More. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, they must
1: do because yeah. there's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so were BFI involved early doors? Was it SEIS no, um, S- or
3: EIS at the, the time? Uh, yeah, we, we had SEIS okay. uh, and then followed up on EIS. Okay. Uh, there was no soft funding, grant funding whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, the BFI showed some initial interest but passed. Oh. Um, they did, however, once they saw the film um, at, at the London Film Festival, they they approached us and said... Sorry, uh, effectively. Did they? I, and what? What they then came in and and they helped out with the uh, PNA budget.
1: Amazing, great because it has been everywhere. It's been yeah, yeah, loads yeah, on buses, and yeah. it's, it's been really good. Yes, yeah, so we were
3: very day. pleased with that. Um, I, I, I mean, f- f- for me. Uh, it's certainly, the biggest profile film that that I that, that I was involved in, and I suppose it's probably what everybody aspires to is being a producer on a film where. It's on the London Underground. It's on absolutely. Those, yeah. On those big posters. Big posters. It's yeah. so I'm just going to
2: walk around for any of my features and just put up my own posters. <laughs> you can do. You can pay it's for your the, own posters. Yeah, yeah. Christian um, James. Yeah. Oh, just to, like, a little it? shot of me. You know? says, yeah,
1: hand on chin. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Peter, this has been amazing. You've given yeah. so much wonderful information. The filmmakers out there are going to be loving this. My, my brain Sorry, hurts. I mean, yeah. I, I, I really? sometimes <laughs> no, in a good
2: way. In a, at the end of every question, I'm like, I'm sort of. Usually, we jump on it with another answer, a question, question. But I'm going. and I'm trying to. I'm thinking, yeah, okay. I'm trying to process sit in my head so long, longer
1: pauses mm. at, to do some yes, i can't thank you enough for giving this uh, information it's been brilliant really really helpful uh, where can people follow gizmo and where can people follow yourself in terms of social media side of things
3: uh well we we've got uh, our website um gizmofilms.com mm-hmm. um we're active on uh twitter at uh, gizmo films mm-hmm. and um on facebook I nice. uh, so just type in Gizmo Films. Perfect. And, uh, we, we, we keep everybody hopefully updated. At the moment, if you go on there, it's nearly all about Funny Cow mm-hmm. because it, it was just released sure, on the yeah. 20th of April. Mm-hmm. But um, that that's where to find us online. Lovely.
1: And is Funny Cow available now online? Because I know it's cinema release. It's,
3: it's not. So it's theatrical run. Um, it, it's I've been running... Uh, since since twentieth April it's just starting to come to that wind down now. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole load of new locations just being added. We're we're getting a sort of second boost of, of cinemas that didn't take it um first time around.
1: But now I've seen um, the brilliant reviews and they yep, yeah, and they and, let's and, take and take it. programming it now. So
3: right. you know, th- there is actually um if you go to www.funnycowfilm.co.uk, dot co dot Mm-hmm. There are detailed screening listings on there, but also on IMDb and Flickster and and so on.
1: Super. Was there a reason why you didn't, because a lot of people are doing this at the moment, sort of releasing at the same time on cinema and on video on demand? Um,
3: this The sales strategy mm-hmm. on Funny Cow is very specifically to have the UK theatrical run first mm-hmm. and then take it to market in relation to international and subsequently TV. Um, mm. E1 have uh, all rights for the UK. So they will at some point do a deal with, with um, either Sky or, or somebody um, for, for uh, video on demand streaming. Now, it's a slightly risky strategy because, you know, you can either try to sell everywhere before the film's released anywhere mm-hmm. and get something for it. Um By releasing it in one territory and then seeing how it does, it can go one or two ways, obviously. If it bombed Mm. and the critics hate it, well, how are you going to sell it elsewhere? Mm -hmm. Fortunately for us, the eight out of ten of the critics uh, really love Funny Cow, including what I'd argue the the, the more important ones. Sure. Um, And uh, it's getting very good ratings as well from from the viewers. Um, That being the case, we can with some confidence... Uh, take it to international markets and get a better price for it Mm -hmm. when it goes online
1: right and is it up to them then the distributor side of it when they release it and when they put it out do you at that point have kind of no more say in when they'll actually put it out
3: once we have signed out signed over to the distributor it's very much up to them okay uh we, we we so so we won't have any control whatsoever as to when it's released on video on demand but then you know i tr- that's their job you know i trust them to do their job of measuring the distribution strategy uh that's not my job so i you know i, I regard it in very good hands with 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 e1
1: amazing amazing this has been absolutely brilliant um, oh, no, brilliant. Uh, um absolutely brilliant right yeah. okay um you can follow CJ, where can we follow you?
2: At C James Direct, And everything is on... There generally tends to be the podcast related, but Mm. um, there should be some info soon about Fanged Up, which is coming out theatrically in September. September? Is that official?
1: (gasps) I think so. First time we've announced it on the podcast, you know? Yeah, now I say it, I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, so... Okay, well, maybe... I can say a couple of dates now, say November, December, and I'll drop them in when I edit this. I like this. It. This autumn. Yeah. <laughs> this autumn. Yeah, last quarter.
2: <laughs> it might be September last I heard it was September I mean we can put it out but
1: it supposed to be September might be October but yeah that's that's the plan at least excellent and you can follow me at Giles Alderson you can follow the podcast at FilmmakersPod on Twitter uh, our FilmmakersPodcast.com is our website where we have all the other podcasts for help for indie filmmakers remember get your indie shout outs to us at, uh, at my Twitter or our DMs get in there and we will shout it out for you thank you very much for listening taking your time to listen to this this has been wonderfully informative uh peter thank you very much for your time
2: thank you buddy really welcome. i enjoyed it great that's ah, marvelous
1: Great. Right. thank you very much take care
2: cheers Go- buddy bye thank you
1: bye-bye